Amen. We did make it back and thank the Lord for that. I had a couple of things that came up when we left the house in, uh, right after Christmas. We don't go back, we don't get back to the house till end of May, 1st of June. And I had a couple of things come up that had to be dealt with. And then when I got home, I found out there's more things to deal with than what I planned on. But I made it back and, uh, in one piece. And I appreciate the Lord watching over me and helping me. Amen. And I built, I, I'll preach here in a minute. Let me just, let me just, uh, I was going to say testify, but I'm really not even testifying. I'm just chewing the fat. That's what we used to call it. Uh, but, uh, I, when we were home in last, last spring, right after we left here, of course the COVID hit. So I was home for three months. That's the most I've been home in one time, probably in 20 years. And uh, so I was home for three months and did a bunch of stuff. One of the things I did was I built a retaining wall. Actually, I built two retaining walls. I had never done that before. And uh, so I built them. And so when I went home, of course, I got home, I think, two in the morning, got my flashlight and walked around. And I could say, hallelujah, the retaining walls are still standing. So that's a blessing. I was wondering if they was going to make it through the winter because I had no idea what I was doing. But uh, they are still standing. So. I appreciate the goodness of the Lord. We're going to we're going to look at a verse, one verse and then talk about it a little bit in the book of Hebrews and the 11th chapter. Now I want to thank you for being here on this Wednesday night and uh brother you can turn me up just a little bit if you will on those monitors. I'm a little bit hoarse here. Uh <clears throat> but that's kind of the way I do uh sort of my uh condition all the time, my normal condition. But I I want us to look at one verse here in Hebrews chapter 11. Of course, this is the faith chapter. We sometimes call it the hall of fame or the hall of faith. And a lot of wonderful folks that are mentioned here, folks like you and I, but they had faith. And somebody said, what made them special? It wasn't them themselves. It was the God they had faith in. And uh, there's a lady mentioned here. We find her in verse number 31. And the Bible said, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them, that believe not when they had received the spies with peace. And I'm going to pray, and then I want to talk a little bit about uh, Rahab. And I want to preach on this subject, what's in a name. Now, Father, we love you today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so good to us. You certainly have blessed us, Lord. I pray you'd help me as I preach tonight. I pray, Lord, that the strength that I do not have, you will provide for me. And Lord, the wisdom that I don't have, that you will provide that. I pray, Lord, if I'm lacking in compassion, that you might provide that for me and help me. I pray, Lord, you'd give me the mind of Christ as I preach. And I pray, Lord, I'll be submitted to the will of the Spirit of God. And I pray that you'll be glorified in everything that's said and done. Lord, if you get glory, we'll get help. Help us now, I pray. Thank you for being such a wonderful God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm interested in the name that we find here. Names have always interested me. When I meet people, I, I'm, I'm bad about remembering names. I have a hard time with it sometime, and it gets harder the older I get. Uh, a fellow told me one time, he said, well, if you're forgetful, when someone tells you their name, then look at them and associate their name with something about their looks. He said, if you're forgetful, do that. And so I tried that, but then I forget to do that when I'm trying not to forget their names. And it gets it gets worse and worse. My pastor and I were driving down the road one day. We're headed to a meeting. 
and we were talking about some things we'd experienced in the past, good things, and we tried to think of this preacher's name. And boy, I could not think of it. I'm 64, my pastor's 73. He couldn't think of his name, and I couldn't think of his name. It was an hour and a half down to where I was preaching. All the way down, we tried to remember his name. Couldn't remember it. All the way back, we tried to think of his name. Couldn't remember it. The next day, we were sitting in his living room, and he said, Doug Flutie, that was, or Tim Flutie, that was the fellow's name. He said, Tim Flutie, that's his name. I said, okay, why were we trying to remember it? Neither one of us could remember. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we have trouble with names, but I'm always interested in names. I, I hear an unusual name and I want to know, uh, where did that name come from? Why did you, why did you put that name? Why did you name your child that? Was he named after someone? Was she named after someone? In the family, I think about Schofield. I think I know who he got named after and uh, different things like that. And I think Lawrence may be named after somebody in the family, if I remember correctly. And most of the time I don't remember correctly. But uh, so I, I think about names. And here we have a name and we have a name, Rahab. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that name in a little while in the sermon. But I'm not so much interested in the name Rahab as I am the entire name that the Scripture uses for her in this passage. The Bible said, by faith, the harlot Rahab. Now, I find that a little bit unusual. Because here we are in the hall of faith. The hall of fame. Here we are, and, and the Hebrew writer, who I think is the Apostle Paul, you, you may not agree with that, and that's fine. You'll find out I'm right when you get to heaven. But anyway... Uh, the Hebrew writer talking about this woman's faith and how this faith has made a change in her life. Look like if he's going to talk about that, he'd leave the harlot part off. Look like he'd just say Rahab was not Rahab or by faith Rahab perished not with them that believed not. But he doesn't say that. He said by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Now I like to preach on this verse in another way sometime, I like to call it the about face of faith or the canceling power of faith. Because Rahab's faith canceled some things. It canceled out her past. It canceled out her perishing in this verse. She perished not and it canceled out her partnerships. You think about a harlot and the women or the men that a harlot would run with. And I'm, I'm not trying to be crude, but you think about what kind of men she would run with. But you know, when she exercised faith, she started hanging around with a different kind of crowd. She started hanging around with a man named Joshua and then a man named Salmon. And then she got in the lineage of Christ there in the book of Matthew. And you know, when you get saved, faith, that's what it'll do. It'll make you do an about face. It'll cancel some things out. But here we have her called Rahab the harlot. Now, I'm going to call this name, uh, this, this title harlot. I'm going to call it tonight a surname because we find surnames in the Bible. Now, uh, most of us tonight, we have two names. Some of us, we have at least two. Some of us have three. Some of you may have four or five names in your name. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I was thinking about a young fellow one time and, uh, and a preacher friend of mine, his daughter married this fella and, uh, he had come from a home where they used a lot of middle names and they named that boy. I think when it's all said and done, he had a first name, he had a surname and he had three names in the middle. He had five names. Uh, coming along there. But a surname, uh, every, most of us have a what we call, we would call a Christian name. Uh, that's our first name. My name is Brian. And then I have a last name, McBride. I'm, 
Irish. I'm not Scottish. Uh, some people, when they call my name, they'll say MacBride, which would, you would do if you were Scottish. But I'm not Scottish. I'm Irish. I'm a red-headed, freckle-faced Irishman. And uh, I'm, so it's McBride. I had a preacher friend, Brother Wright, who's in heaven now. And he never could get that. He never could distinguish between that Irish and that Scottish. And he'd say, hello, Brother McBride. He had this real low, gravelly preacher voice. He'd say, hello, Brother McBride. I prayed for you today, Brother McBride. Right. That's the way he talked. And other people got hold of it. And they called me that. But McBride, we would call it, we call it a surname. Now, uh, sometimes we mistake and we call it a sire name. And we say, well, that, that sire name, you got that from your daddy. Uh, it's handed down, uh, through generations. And my father's name was Keith Elwood McBride. And so I'm Brian McBride. But a sire name is not a surname. A surname is not something you got from your parents. A surname is a name, the word surname means over and abundant. And it is a name attached to you that gives more information about you. When we look in this passage and we find Rahab the harlot. Someone might say, well, do you know Rahab? And someone else will say, well, I know a lot of Rahabs. Which one are you talking about? And somebody would say, I'm talking about Rahab the harlot. It gives, it gives information over and abundant about her name, over and above her name. Helps to establish who she is. So we have in this passage Rahab the harlot. And it's interesting to me that the majority of times that we read about Rahab in the Bible, we're going to find this surname attached to her. Rahab the harlot. The Bible tells us in the book of Joshua that Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive. We read in our passage here, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. We read in the book of James, Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. So this surname, this harlot that is attached to her name, gives us uh, uh, information over and above the fact that she is Rahab. Now, you'll find this throughout the Bible. I'll give you a couple of illustrations, then I'll try and make my point. Uh, we find in Mark chapter 3 and verse 16, and Simon, he surnamed Peter, talking about Jesus. And in verse 17, it says this, And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, he surnamed them, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Bonargus is the way I've always pronounced it, which is the sons of thunder. Now, Jesus looked at James and John, and he said, your name is James and your name is John. But he said, I've been watching you boys and I know something about you. And so I'm going to give you a surname that gives a little more information about you. And I'm going to call you the sons of thunder. You said, preacher, why would he call them that? Well, you read a little later in the Bible where Jesus is going in Samaria and he has set his face toward Jerusalem. And when the Samaritans see that he set his face toward Jerusalem, they will not receive him. And you know what John and James do? When John and James see that the Samaritans are not giving Jesus the respect they think he's due, they say to him, Lord, let us call down fire from heaven and consume this crowd. They kind of sound like Baptists, don't they? I think that may be part of the reason why he called them the sons of thunder. They were a crowd that always went overboard just a little bit. We can read on. We can read about Matthew. Matthew is called in Matthew 10, the publican. 
Now, he's not a publican anymore, but he's still called and referenced in the Bible as Matthew the publican. When we think about the life of David, David married a widow. Her name was Abigail. She had been married to a man named Nabal. Four times after she is already married to David and her husband Nabal is dead, here's the way she'll be introduced. And David's wives were taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, now wait a minute, she's not his wife anymore, but four times the Bible will call her his wife even after he's dead and she's married to David. I read over in Mark chapter 14, and being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, a spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. Now, here's what the Bible said. Jesus was in the house of Simon the leper. Now, I want you to think about that. If Simon is still a leper, he's not living in the house. If he's still a leper, Jesus is not eating a meal with him with a crowd around, because that would not be allowed. So he can't be a leper anymore, but he's still called Simon the leper. We could go on and on. I could give you illustration after illustration where the Bible uses a surname for somebody, and that surname would not be accurate in the present, but it reminds of the past. Don't you think... That Matthew, after he became a disciple and apostle of the Lord, don't you think oftentimes if someone would say to him, you're Matthew the publican, aren't you? And Matthew would say, now listen, I'm not a publican anymore. That's what I used to be. Now I'm an apostle. Now I'm a disciple. Now I'm a follower of the Lord. Someone might say to Abigail, I know who you are. You are the wife of Nabal. She'd say, no, I'm not the wife of Nabal. You know what the Bible said about Nabal? He was a son of Belial and a churlish man. What does that mean, preacher? Meaning he wasn't no good. He was sorry. And she had been married to him, and now God had killed him. He died, and she's married to David. Don't you think she would want you to say, I know who you are. You're Abigail, the wife of David. But the Lord in the Bible keeps bringing up that she was the wife of Nabal. Don't you think when we, when we look in these passages, don't you think when you, if you're introduced to Ray, to Rahab and someone say, now this is Rahab, she's married Salmon, she's living now in Israel, living like an Israelite, worshiping the God of Israel. And, and, and Salmon would say, I'd like to introduce you to my wife Rahab. And somebody would look at her and say, I know who you are. You're Rahab the harlot. Don't you think she'd say, now listen, I'm not a harlot anymore. That's what I used to be, but I'm not that anymore. Why do you keep bringing it up? So I'm wondering, why does God keep bringing these names up? Why didn't He just say Rahab? Why didn't He just say Abigail? Why didn't He just say Matthew? Why does He keep bringing up these surnames that are not good? They remind us of the past. Why? Well, I want to give you three reasons tonight why God would do it. And these three reasons might help us in our Christian life. The first reason He would do it is because these undesirable sermons or surnames mortify our flesh. They mortify our flesh. We're exhorted in the New Testament 
to mortify the flesh. Put the flesh down. Count the flesh. Mortician. Count the flesh as dead. Don't let the flesh rule our lives. But here's what would happen. Every time, every time Rahab would be called Rahab the harlot, here's what she'd think of. That's what I used to be. She would be reminded where she came from. When Abigail would be reminded and they'd say, you're the wife of, of Nabal, that churlish man, that son of Belial. Then, then Abigail would say, well, that was my old life. That's what I used to be. She would be reminded where she was when David rescued her. Rahab would be reminded where she was when God came and rescued her. You know what happens to us sometimes? We forget where we came from. We forget what we were when God found us. Here we are. We're in the house of God. We're dressed up. We're hearing the preaching. We're singing the songs of Zion. And we get to thinking that we're somebody. And here's what happens then. We look at somebody who is exactly what we used to be. And we look down our noses at them and say, I don't know why they do that. I don't know why they live like that. I don't know why they talk like that. I don't know why they go there. I don't know why they love God. And what happened was we forgot we used to be right where they were. We forgot what we were when God found us. You remember where you were when God found you? Do you remember the mess you were in when you got saved? you remember the wickedness you were involved in? I don't believe we ought to go back and wallow in it. I don't want us to have a morbid, uh, unhealthy interest in it. But I do think it's good for us to be reminded what lost sinners we were, what a mess we were in, how wicked we were, how ungodly we were, how we were enemies of God and contrary to God and adversaries of God. And the Bible even called us haters of God. It wouldn't hurt us to be reminded what we were when we were lost. Think about, think about Rahab and what she was when she was lost. Her past has been washed away by faith. What, what, what kind of past did she have? She had an insolent past. If you study the name Rahab, it means proudness, being prideful. She lived with an insolent people who were proud against the God of Israel. But God delivered her out of that. She'd had an immoral past. She was a harlot. She lived a wicked life. Uh, she had sold herself for gain. She had an immoral past, but God delivered her out of that. She had an idolatrous past. She lived amongst the Canaanites. Their idolatry was so wicked that God said, when you go in the promised land, you destroy them. Don't leave a one of them alive because I don't want them teaching you the wickedness that they've been practicing in their idolatrous practice. That was the way she had been raised and that's the way she lived. And so God brings it up perhaps to remind her where she was when he found her. You remember where you were? Remember what you were? Remember the life you lived? Some were drunk, some were dope addicts, some were harlots, some were whoremongers. Some of us were bitter and angry. Uh, some were thieves. Some of us were liars. Uh, I mean, I mean, all of us were sinners, but uh, many of us had a certain sin, a certain thing in our life that just ruled us and it chained us and we we're in bondage to it. And the, uh, hallelujah, the sweet Holy Ghost came by and convicted us of our sin. And we repented and God gave us a brand new life. And we don't need to forget where we came from. God said to Israel, Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock when she are hewn, and to the hole of the pit when she are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and to Sarah that bear you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. What's he saying? He said, don't forget 
where you came from. Your old flesh is no better than my flesh. And your old flesh is no better than the flesh of every sinner walking up and down the street that cares nothing for God. We, we're all cut from the same mold. We're all sinners. And if it hadn't been the grace of God and the good work of the Holy Ghost hadn't been for, hadn't been for redemption, what a mess we'd be in tonight. Uh, there's no telling what, uh, what hole we'd be laying in, what difficulty we'd be in if it hadn't been for God. So we need to be reminded sometime that we still got that same flesh. God saved our soul. God said this to Israel in Exodus 23. Listen to this now. And thou shalt not oppress a stranger. For ye know the heart of a stranger. Seeing ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Love ye therefore the strangers. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. God said, don't you go looking down your nose at somebody who doesn't know me. Because there's a time when you didn't know me. Don't you go looking down your nose at somebody in bondage to sin. Because there was a time when you were in bondage to sin. And what he's saying basically is if it hadn't been for me, you'd be in a mess. So don't take all, don't walk in pride. Don't walk and act like you're somebody and better than everybody else. I'm telling you, friend, there's only one that's worth worshiping and only one that's worth lifting up. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one that deserves glory. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If it hadn't been for the cross, what a mess we'd be in. These names, these names that seem unfair, these names that are undesirable, I think they're designed to mortify the flesh. Now I think this, and some might disagree with me on this, but I, I think I have Bible for this. I believe when Salmon married, married, uh, Rahab, I believe they had a son named Boaz. Now some say that there's too many years and not enough people. For that to go on, for, for Boaz to be the child of, of Salmon and Rahab. But there's an interesting verse over in 1 Samuel 17. It's an unusual verse. It comes out of nowhere. There's nothing, there's nothing introducing it and nothing talked about after it. Just all of a sudden comes out of nowhere. Here's what it said. It said, now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And here's what it said. And the man went among men for an old man. In the days of Saul. And I'm thinking now, Lord, you just kind of threw that in. Right? Why did I need to know that? I think the Lord wanted me to know that Jesse, David's father, lived longer than any other man in that day. I think that's that verse is teaching. And I think the Lord wanted me to know it so that no modernist professor would try and destroy my Bible and tell me there's too many and not enough of this and not enough of that. But I say that to say this. You think about Rahab being the harlot. Now, you think about her suffering at the hands of immoral and wicked men. So now, she's married Salmon and they have a son. And if I've calculated it right, Boaz is about 50 years old. And he walks out into a field one day and he sees a Moabite girl named Ruth. And Ruth has nobody to look out for her. She has no husband. She has no brothers. If she has a father, he's back in Moab. And do you remember what Boaz said to her? He said, if I abide here fast by my maidens. He said, when thou art a thirst, go and drink of the water the young men have drawn. And then he said this. Now listen to this. He said, have I not charged the young men not to touch thee? Now here's what I'm wondering. 
Where did Boaz get the idea that he ought to protect a woman who had no protector? You reckon his mama, who had suffered at the hands of men, sat him down as a little boy and said, Now let me tell you something, son. When you see a young woman and she needs somebody to watch out for her, I want you to protect her. I want you to watch out for her. And I don't think she'd go into all the reasons for it, but she'd just say to him, I know that it's important for a man to treat a woman right. And she raised him that way. Say, so why'd she raise him that way? Because of what she'd been through in her life. God saves us out of sin and out of wickedness. But that don't mean we ought to forget what we were and how we were raised and where he found us and what we went through. But we ought to use it for the glory of God. Well, these undesirable surnames, they mortify the flesh. Hey, look up here. Instead of spending our time mourning over what we were, let's spend our time praising God over what we were and what we are now and use what we were to glorify the God of heaven. So I think these names, they mortify the flesh. Here's the second thing these undesirable surnames do. They measure grace. They measure grace. Now here's what I mean. Sometimes people will say to me, because I travel, I travel all the time. I don't know how many miles in these 40 years. I've, I've pro- I know I've traveled a million miles, maybe a million and a half more than that. I don't know. I've traveled a lot, done a lot of travel. And sometimes people will say to me, now preacher, how far did you come to get here? Well, I can tell them how far I came if I know where I started. But if I don't know where I started, there's no way to measure how far I've traveled. And you know, if we forget where we came from, how are we going to measure how far God has brought us? We think about what we were and what we are now. And what it does is it gives us a measure of what God has done in our lives by grace. I got a preacher friend, grew up in a rough family. He, him and his brother were picked up by the bus captain, brought to church. The bus captain said those two boys were the meanest boys he ever picked up on his bus routes. And now that boy, that I call him a boy, he's younger than I am, but not that much younger, but he's pastor of the church and they run a bus route. And I remember him telling me one day, he said, I got saved. He said, preacher, when I got saved, I had bad language. I had a habit of using bad language, words that people shouldn't use. He said, and, and I, I was raised that way, and it was just my normal way of speaking. He said, I got born again, I got saved. And he said, a while after I got saved, something happened, and I lost my temper. And he said, I let out a string of cuss words. And he said, as soon as I did, I felt so bad about it. And he said, I went to my pastor and said, Pastor, I, I said some things I didn't mean to say, and I feel so bad about it. What do I do? He said, well, here's what you do. When that happens, go get go get yourself a quiet place. Go get by yourself. Get on your knees. Tell the Lord you're sorry for talking that way. And then say, Lord, make this the last time. And so he said, I did that. And then I, and then I don't know how much longer later he said, I, I, I got my, lost my temper again. And he said, I said some things. And I went and got in a place. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I don't need to talk that way. And I don't want to talk that way. Make this the last time. And then he said, I... 
I got in a little difficult situation and it happened again and I went. But he said, you know what? One time it happened and I went and I prayed and I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Make this the last time. And he said, you know what? It was the last time. It never happened again. You know what he's doing? He was measuring how far he'd come in the grace of God. If I remember how I got started and where I was when God found me and then I look at where I'm at. I could say, hallelujah, what a Savior, what a God. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not living like I used to live. I'm not what I used to be because of the amazing grace of God. How are we going to measure how far we get if we forgot where we began? You know, Paul would talk about where he began. He said, I was before a blasphemer. He said, I persecuted the church. He talked about where he began. I thought about Rahab and how far she's come. I wrote these things down. She's from the lineage of the condemned to the lineage of Christ. She's from the loneliness of harlotry to the love of a husband. She's come from the iniquity of Canaan to the inheritance of Israel. She's gone from a living death to an abundant life. You know what? She that she dwelleth. I like what Joshua said. Said she dwelleth in Israel unto this day. She could look back and say, "That's what I used to be." Somebody said, "Are you Rahab the harlot?" She said, "That's what I used to be." Now I'm Rahab the wife. Now I'm Rahab the worshiper. Now I'm Rahab the mother. Now I'm Rahab the Israelite. I'm a different Rahab than where I started. How does she know God has been gracious to her? She remembers where she began. Can you look at your life and see how far you've come? I'm not talking about a prideful thing. I'm talking about a rejoicing thing. Can you say, you know, this is what I used to do. This is where I used to go. This is how I used to talk. This is what I used to be. This is the way I used to think. But I don't think that way anymore. I've been renewed. Remember what Paul said in Romans. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Sometime it might help you, dear friend, just to think about just for a moment how you used to think and consider how you think now and then say, Hallelujah, I'm not what I used to be. I've come a long way by grace. I'm glad for the grace of God, aren't you? I'm glad we're not what we were. You remember James and John? Matthew 3.17. I, I quoted part of this, but let me read it to you. Mark 3.17. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Bonargus, who is which is the sons of thunder. In Luke 9, they did not receive him, talking about the Samaritans, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, the sons of thunder, when they saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did? That's James and John, the sons of thunder. But then we get over into the epistles. And we read John saying this. 1 John 4.11 Beloved Now think about that. Beloved If God so loved us We ought also To love one another. Go over there and read John How many times he'll say love one another. Love one another. Wait a minute now. That's the fellow who said Now Lord Let us call down fire and burn this crowd up. You know what's happened to John? He's come a long way in the grace of God. 
The Bible tells us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you, friend, it ought to help us to rejoice tonight, to look back and say, this is what I was, but the grace of God has taken me from there to here. I'm still not what I want to be, still not what I'm supposed to be, still not what I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And it's all because of grace. So I don't want to forget what I was because it helps me rejoice in what I am. There's one more thing I want to say to you. These undesirable surnames, they not only mortify the flesh and they, they measure our grace, but they magnify our hope. You see, look at, look with me in Matthew chapter one. Seem like every time we're reading about old Rahab, it's Rahab the harlot and the harlot Rahab. By faith, the harlot Rahab. But watch Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Pharaoh and Zerah Tamar. And Pharaoh begat Ezra, and Ezra begat Aram. And Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nason. And Nason begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Booz of, that's Boaz, of Rachab. That's Rahab. Did you notice what's missing? No harlot. Wasn't even brought up. (laughs) You know, Ruth, five times in our Bible, Ruth is officially introduced. Four of those times, she bears the Moabite tag. Either Ruth the Moabitess or the woman of Moabite, the woman woman of Moab. Four times. But here's the fifth time she's officially introduced. And Salmon begat Booz of Rachab, and Booth begat Obed of Ruth. No Moabite tag. Hey, look at it. No surname. It's just Rahab. Say, preacher, what's the difference? Well, can I, can I put it this way? I'd like to put it this way. This is after the wedding. It's after the wedding. And after the wedding... All that past is forgotten. Never brought up again. And you know where we're headed? We're heading for a wedding. We're going to be, I mentioned it last night, I think we're going to be wed to Christ. And you know what will happen after that judgment seat and that wedding to Christ? You know what will happen? All our surnames will be dropped. They'll all be put away. You know, I thought, I was thinking on the way down here while I was driving, David in the Old Testament, he's talking about what God did for him. He made mention of he brought me out of an horrible pit. You remember that? I think I wrote it down. I wrote it down here. He said, uh, I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined unto me and He heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And He has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. And many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. So David, when he was talking in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms about what God had done for him, he made sure to mention the mess that he was in, that miry pit that God brought him out, that clay. He's talking about 
God redeeming him out of that. That's in Saul. But wait a minute. I was reading in Revelation chapter 5. You know what they're doing? They're singing about redemption. But they're leaving something out in, in Revelation 5. In Revelation 5 and verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four elders and four and twenty elders, or four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down uh, before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Now listen to this. And they sung a new song. David sung a new song. But in his song, he mentioned the miry clay in the pit that he came out of. But when we get in heaven, this is us, by the way. I believe we're the elders that are mentioned here. Somebody said, preacher, how do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I know for several reasons. But for one reason, John already saw me there. And in verse 9 it said, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue. And people and nation has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now they're talking about the same kind of redemption, the same type of redemption that David was, but they left something out. David talked about that horrible pit, that miry clay, but this crowd in heaven don't bring up the horrible pit nor the miry clay. All they can talk about is the fact that God redeemed them. They're not talking about what they were. They're talking about what He is. They're not talking about what they've done. They're talking about what He did. They're not talking about where they've been. They're talking about where He's been. I'll tell you one of these days, friend, when we get to heaven, all the old things will be walked away. There'll be, I know already in the mind of God, my past is cleansed and washed away. I know that. But it's still here in my mind. But hallelujah, one of these days in my glorified body, in that new Jerusalem singing around the throne, all that stuff is going to be forgotten and never brought up again. Every surname will be dropped. Never brought up. How to be a glad day. How to be a glad day. You say, well, preacher, I've had failures and I've had pain and I've had this and I've had that. Yeah, I know, but when we get to heaven, one of these days, all that will be forgotten. And all we'll want to think about is Him. Him, what He did, who He is, what He did for us. We're going to leave off those surnames. It's not going to be Rahab the harlot. It's going to be Rahab. It's not going to be Ruth the Boabitis. It's going to be Ruth. It's not going to be Brian and whatever it was that I was or your name and whatever it was that you were. It's just going to be that new name. <laughs> and all of our attention will be centered on the one that loved us and died for us, and shed his blood and redeemed us out of every tribe, out of every nation. I'm going to tell you, that'll be a glad day. That'll be a glad day. Thank God for that day. I want you to bow your heads a moment. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I was in a meeting one day. A lady said to me, she said, Preacher, I did a terrible thing when I was a teenage girl. She didn't tell me what it was and I didn't want to know. She said, now I'm saved. She said, every year on the anniversary of what I did, there is an oppression that comes on me. She said, it's the devil, I reckon. He reminds me of what I did. And she said, one year I was having so much trouble with it. I testified in the church and afterwards she said, several people in the church came and said, I, I experienced the same thing. An oppression over something I did when I was young. Some sin that I committed. She said, God's given me liberty. 
He's given me victory over it. And I, th- I thought to myself, you know, all of us have things in our past. We can let them chain us and bind us. We can spend the rest of our life regretting them. Or we can say, you know, that's what I was, but it's not what I am now. That's where I was, but it's not where I am now. God has, He has redeemed me and saved me. Now I'm a new creature in Christ. Now I'm just going to live for God and I'll, I'll not let that hold me back. I'll look at it and say, isn't God good that He saves somebody like me? Isn't God good that He uses somebody like me? I'll use that not, not to tear myself down, but to glorify the God that saved me. And then one of these days when I get to heaven, it'll never be brought up against me. Not by my conscience. God won't bring it up anyway. He said, their sins and iniquities will I remember against them no more. And I'm glad God's put our past away. But it wouldn't hurt us tonight to remember where we were when He found us. Maybe if we did, we'd want to spend some time at an altar tonight thanking Him for saving a wretch like me. Thanking Him for being so good to us and blessing us and helping us. Thanking Him for taking us along and carrying us along and changing our lives. We might just want to thank Him. I believe He'd be deserved. He deserves some praise and some thanksgiving tonight because of what He's done in our lives. Now, will you listen to me? You say, preacher, would you shame me? I probably would. But I'll say this to you. If God's never done anything for you, then I don't expect you to thank Him. I don't expect